Hello, everyone. Um, today on Arash's World, we have a special guest, Catherine Ford, who is a couple therapist and a psychiatrist. And she has uh, an amazing approach that uh, we will talk about and discuss here over the next minutes. But before we do, um, I'd like you to briefly introduce yourself, um, Catherine, and just tell us anything you like about yourself. Sure. Um, I started my life in Texas. Um, my, my grandfather was actually an, a real cowboy. Um, and uh, I, I wasn't, but I liked that he was. I went to, um, I did my medical training at Brown, um, which was my first adventure on the East Coast. And then I went from there to Stanford to do my psychiatry residency. Um, I pretty much knew when I went to medical school that what I wanted to do was to be a therapist. And increasingly, I felt like I was probably gonna end up being either a family therapist or a couple therapist. And sure enough, as I started to do therapy, um, I began to realize just how important relationships were to people. And more and more, I began to feel like in terms of really having an impact, um, that would be through working with couples relationships. And it also turned out that I really enjoyed that kind of work. So for the last 20 years, really, that's all I do is I meet with couples and occasionally people in other relationships, work relationships or other family relationships. Yeah, and uh, thank you very much. And so the relationships are really important because we, we cannot survive or thrive without relationships. But before we get to the couple's uh, relationships, I'd like to actually talk a bit about uh, probably the most important relationship we have, which is the one with ourselves. Yes. So um, what would you say about that? What is important about the relationship we have with ourselves before we step into uh, going into a relationship with someone else? Yeah, that, that's a nice place to start. I like that. Um, you know, as soon as you do try to step into a relationship with someone else, what you're going to realize is the self-knowledge and an openness to self-knowledge is going to be super important. Um, one of the uncomfortable things about being in a relationship is you, you have someone there who is very interested in you and has a front row seat, which means that they're going to observe things that you don't know about yourself. And the more you do know about yourself, the more comfortable you're going to be with the idea that self-knowledge is an ever unfolding um, trajectory and that you don't need to know everything about yourself. And on the other hand, the more you do know about yourself, the more competent you're going to be to participate in any relationship. So I would say the, the couple of things that are important about the relationship with yourself. One is to really be a very curious student about who am I really and what's going on. And also to be very self-compassionate. I was recently writing something about self-compassion and what really came to me was how many times I had to sort of coax somebody into self-compassion. We somehow have gotten the idea that there's this binary thing of if we really care about others, we don't put ourselves first. And of course that's backwards because in order to be caring with others, um, we're, the, we're the place that that starts. And so the best way to take care of others is actually to start with taking really good care of yourself. And that includes being very compassionate with yourself when you screw up, when things don't go the way that you'd hope, and to really, to really hold that in a very careful, care, caring way. 
Yes, and uh, I think what happens with many people, and myself included, we look for something that we don't have within ourselves, and we look for that in the other person. So we say, if I find another person, I will get to accept and love myself, and it doesn't work that way, and it's actually right. often very harmful to relationships. Yes, yes, exactly. And so one of the things I've also uh, noticed is so not be driven by, again, uh, this uh, anxiety of like being alone, but going into a relationship when when you feel like this is what I want and not and in a way also trusting your intuition and gut feeling about this is the thing I want to do right now. This is the relationship I want to engage in. And to be able to also take time off when you say, okay, right now, this is not the right moment for me to, to enter into that relationship. Uh, would you agree with that too? When you, you kind of get that intuition and not follow what others are saying. So it's like, you should be in a relationship now, or it's, you should get married at this point, but kind of deciding it for yourself and just listening to your, to your gut feeling there. Yes. And also it's, um, you know, you're talking, I think about that, that most important, special committed uh, relationship. And yes, you may not be ready for that. On the other hand, there are all kinds of other relationships that may, may be right for you. And so it's really not either you are in a relationship or you're not, because if you're not in a major primary relationship that we refer to as the significant other, yet you can be in, and need to be in many other relationships from tiny ones to larger ones, from people that you work with to people that you play with, um, and so really the trick is finding what is the right kind of relationship for you right now. Uh, for some people, it might be they're, they're very introverted and they're just starting to understand relationships, but they like playing music. So they get together, you know, once a week and they jam with their friends. And that's very much a relationship as any, as any musician will tell you. But it requires a different level of commitment, a different level of skill. And so you can kind of learn about relationships in a lot of ways other than just being in a primary relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. I was talking more about romantic relationships and yeah. that's when I think of couples, yeah. but yes. And I, I think the, again, for a healthy person, you need to fill all those boxes and have all those relationships in your life. And that happens too, where people just solely focus on, for example, the romantic relationship and they say, you right. are my friend and you're this and partner. Right. And, and so it, it overwhelms them in, in many, in many ways yes. as well. And that yes. is not healthy. Um, yeah. One thing that's important for me, it's always authenticity. So to be authentic to yourself again finding yourself being honest to yourself again that's the the first relationship we have right. and then be able to also be vulnerable to the other person and vulnerability is something that uh, you have uh, something to say about as well and that is um, an important part I think a building block of a successful relationship yes it certainly is uh, people often don't fail to understand that if they're guarding their vulnerability, the other person can't feel it. And so sometimes what happens is a person can feel very vulnerable, but sometimes without really knowing it, they're, they're feeling very vulnerable, but they're doing this. And then they're surprised that the other person's response isn't quite empathetic, isn't quite caring, isn't quite gentle. And that has to do with the fact that um, we're a little bit like, I'm gonna go back to a music analogy again. Um, I, I, I occasionally play the drums. If you have a drum in a room with other drums and you hit the drum head and it resonates, all the other drum heads start to resonate. 
human beings are like that emotionally. So we don't feel what the other person's feeling by thinking about it. And in fact, this thing of, well, put yourself in their shoes and think, think how you would feel. That's actually what you need to do if you don't have access to actually feeling it. But real empathy is you're with somebody and you can actually feel the resonance, just like with the drum heads, of what they're feeling. Now, what happens, going back to vulnerability, is if a person's feeling very vulnerable and they don't realize that they kind of damp down the drum head, they're, they're keeping things tightly screwed down, the other person can't feel it. And so they don't understand, why am I not getting an empathetic response? So sometimes it's very important to realize that in order to get an empathetic response, you do actually have to take the risk of really putting it out there, as we say, and being vulnerable with the other person so that they can actually feel it. What, what I usually feel with friendships too, and even in, a, in a, my uh, relationship with my wife is when, when people open up, when they are yeah. vulnerable, when they, yeah. and I actually like people I didn't like, for example, at work or, or, or right. people I would uh, hang out with, I didn't like them at first. The moment they become vulnerable and they say something uh, that is their weakness or, and I, I immediately like them for that. Yeah. And then that yeah. actually changes my whole perspective when I say, you know what? I misunderstood you because right. I saw this like fake persona that we're projecting into the world. Right. And uh, it's often like kind of a turnoff, I think for right. me. And so when, when they become real, then I feel like I can, I can accept them more and I can actually appreciate them more. Right. And so um, one thing that is also people carry around with them is trauma. And that's something I've been very fascinated with um, mm -hmm. because I think it forms many of our unconscious biases where we get into, we see the same patterns in relationships. So we repeat certain things we saw from our parents and basically copy that without knowing it. And, and, and so my uh, approach was to really look at that and try to understand um, what do I see in the other person? And am I just copying what I've seen in others? Or is that really my authentic me? This is how I feel. This is how yeah. I perceive a relationship. So what can we do to, to deal with that? Uh, with that trauma that everyone is carrying in their own yeah. way, but what can we do with that? Yeah, yeah, we all carry that, and even for things that aren't necessarily what we would classically think of as trauma, we carry so many different beliefs and assumptions based on the past. Um, part of our advantage um, in terms of survival mechanisms is that we're really good learners, and so we carry around all these things that we think we've learned from the past, and sometimes they are very useful. Um, what your question brings me to is that what, what I've found to be the most helpful for couples is to really teach them to focus in the present moment their actual awareness of and perceptions of their partner right now um, in, in order to get away from the, what they're thinking they're going to see, what they're thinking they're going to hear based on the last 10 times they had that conversation. And very often, you you know, this thing that we often call um, self-fulfilling prophecy, what that is, is you're predicting what's going to happen. And without knowing it, you're starting to send things in that direction. So instead of doing that, I often tell couples, the, the biggest thing that's going to get in your way is your beliefs, your assumptions, and your thoughts. And instead of sitting there trying to figure out what you think your partner is trying to say, really tune in just to, is this person open to you right now? 
am I open to, to them right now? And the most important thing to do is arrive in the present moment so that you can really take in what's happening now as opposed to what happened yesterday. And then in particular, stay very related to, are we open to each other? Because if you start to close down to each other, you will not be able to hear each other accurately, will not be able to understand each other. And you need to really address the fact that you're closing down and reopen so that you can then once again hear each other accurately. Mm -hmm, yes, and you start with, you come to the conversation with tension already and apprehension, and you yeah. are expecting the other person to act a certain way. But one thing that can really help, and uh, that is something that I've been very passionate about, especially lately, is mindfulness of like being able to yeah. say, okay, this was the past, but now right. at this moment, things yes. could be different. And we have the chance to whatever problems we've had in the past, we can resolve it now if we really communicate with each other and really listen yeah. to each other and listen to the other person. Yes, and exactly. So you have yeah. mindfulness has been so important. And one of the ways to understand my perspective and the way I work with couples is it's really mindfulness for relationships. And it's, it's maybe the most important place for us to practice mindfulness in a certain way, maybe the easiest place, because I find that it's, it's much easier to arrive in the present moment when it matters to a relationship. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Our relationships matter a lot. And so the ability to just really show up and tune into what's happening right now uh, is mindfulness in relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have the term aperture, and uh, yes. which is uh, a very interesting term. It's, uh, it's, it's French as well, yes. which I like. And yes. um, so uh, there are two. There's emotional, you're talking about awareness. So emotional would be that kind of openness in terms of feelings of, of being clear, I would think, right? And then the awareness would be the mindfulness that uh, we're just mentioning here with that would that be a correct understanding of the two processes? Or maybe you can explain a bit more. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, let, let me think about how to put that together. Yeah. So um, many years ago, I've been doing really only couples therapy for the last 20 years. And at the beginning of, of really starting to focus in on couples, um, I began to ask myself, so I'm really liking doing this. And there's something that I'm using to guide me so that the complexity of couples and sitting with a couple isn't, isn't making me fatigued, isn't getting in the way. What is that? And I realized what I was paying the most attention to was how open are these two people to each other, knowing that they're sitting in my office because they want to be open to each other. They care about each other. They care about this relationship, but something's getting in the way. And one day when I was working with a couple, I, I pulled the word aperture out of the air just as a way to describe to them, you know, you're, you're, ap you're, you're starting to close down. Your apertures are closing. And it worked very well. And so I began to use that word a lot and that idea a lot and to talk to couples about it. And my first thought was, oh, I get it. My job is to teach uh, couples aperture awareness, to teach them to be aware of apertures. Then not very long after that, maybe a few days after that, I had a session where I'm watching a couple and she's trying to talk to him about something very meaningful to her. And he's starting to shut down. And as he starts to shut down, she starts to talk faster. She starts to talk louder and she starts to repeat herself. So she's more and more blasting away. And the more she does this, the more he closes down, right? So finally I turned to her and I said, what's going on? I said, stop for a second. What's going on right now? And she said, well, he's closing down. And I said, right. 
So if you, so if you notice that, why did you keep talking? And she said, I didn't know what else to do. And the light bulb went over my head and I thought, ah, oh, this is not that people can't sense aperture. And in fact, subsequently looking into the neurophysiology of this, I realized in fact, we're very well wired to sense aperture in other people. It's not that I need to teach people to sense aperture. They don't know what to do with the information. And so they're ignoring it. What I need to do is teach people how to use that information, which will then cause them to be more aware of that information. As soon as we know what to do with something, then we pay attention to it. And so the real trick is to learn that, yes, we're hardwired for aperture where we have a really strong pipeline to, to tuning in to how other people are feeling when they're with us. And, and in particular, open or closed. Is this person opening to me or closed? And as soon as you do, then the, the next thing you want to know how to do is to slow down or stop as the aperture is closing and to go when it's open. And people can make mistakes on, on both sides. I love that. So it's it's kind of like a circuit. You have like a circuit that opens and closes and then the brain works the same way. And I've been like studying neuroscience and a bit more and just the, the go and no go. Do I do this? And does this happen? And do I say this? So it's it's something that's in in built into into our mechanism as well as our brain, and so um, I, I find that too with uh, when when we get into an argument with my wife and then she closes and that's yeah. the moment as I say I've learned to stop because you can't Good. go forward and you make yes, things exactly. much worse. So exactly. I would take a minute, maybe 10 minutes, maybe an hour. And then finally, she would open up and I can see that in her gestures yeah. as well, yeah. and non-verbally. Yeah. And so we get a lot of, I see, uh, I have friends and I see a lot of couples and where I see a sense something is not going well. And the, there are a lot of couples that kind of gave the, give this pretense idea that they are doing really well and they're a very right. happy couple. Right. And then they often like even give advice of like, you guys should do this and this. Um, but then we sense, and I've been studying nonverbal signals as well as like, um, I watched the whole series lie to me of like how we, how people are deceiving and how, how it leaks through in their, in their um, gestures and so on. And we noted these things. And then uh, probably maybe months after or a year after the same couples would then break up. And right. to many, it would come as a shock. It was like, you guys were such a happy couple. And we're like, yeah. no, they weren't. And it, it, yeah. it kind of, you sense that. So there's this idea is like, we're different when we're at home than when we're outside. And that to me comes down to authenticity. And for me and my wife, we're the same wherever we go. Right. And I try to be the same. I can't be 100% the same where I'm at work. So I'm a bit different when I'm doing my my right. blog work here. And my, my work colleagues uh, saw some of my videos. They're like, oh my God, you, this is not the Arash we know. And it's like, yeah, well, it's you, again, opening and closing. Right. And it's like, now and I need to be different. I need to be more professional or now I need to be more humor. Yeah. I can show more humor and so on. So that that kind of continuously goes on. But my concern is when couples are projecting that fake image of yes. themselves. Yes. Well, I Why think that, and what can we do about that? And what advice would you yeah, give to those couples? That's a really important aspect of couples life because part of what happens with couples uh, is we don't know what normal couple life is. Uh, 
and we don't know what goes on. It, couples life is a bit like a magic show. The important stuff is all going on behind the scenes, right? Absolutely. And so we start to be a couple, but we have very little information about what really goes on inside of a couple. Um, I think that the couple's life is one of the most closely guarded privacies we have. Uh, people just very seldom, only with, if, if you're, a very good thing is if you have two or three other couples in your life that you do get to know well and you feel comfortable with, you feel comfortable and vulnerable with, then you may share among you what's really going on behind the scenes. But by and large, it's a, it's a closely guarded secret. And this gets in the way a lot, especially for young couples, newly starting to be a couple, they don't have a clue. And so when it gets hard, when things get difficult, when things get complicated, they can easily make the mistake of thinking there's something wrong with them. You know, there must be either there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with us. And many of the things that couples run into, in fact, there's nothing wrong with anybody. It's normal couples life, which includes the fact that you're meant to be learning as you go along. And so there's a lot about couples life that if couples would talk to each other more about what really goes on and find people they can share that with, it would be awfully helpful. I, I do a lot of teaching of workshops to couples. And at first I was a little shy about doing it because I thought, oh, people won't feel comfortable being a couple in a group with other couples. Well, actually the opposite turned out to be true. The thing they liked the best about the class and the workshop was the chance to talk to other couples about what was going on inside their couple. And they found that just incredibly valuable, which makes sense to me now. Yeah, I, I just remember my wife was was hanging out with uh, with other um, uh, women and they were talking about their relationships and they were talking about their troubles they have with their husbands and so on. And then they turned to her and said, what about you? And she felt bad because she's like, I have nothing to contribute. What's right. going on? Because I don't have right. these issues that they're talking right. about. So right. it can also be a kind of like, I guess, like couple peer pressure where like, am I doing okay? And you can go either way. Yes. Maybe we're yeah. not happy enough. Maybe we're yeah. not balanced enough and so on but yeah. for me what has worked is just see and my family unit I have a 12 year old son as well we're we, we're a team our family is a team and so we see everything that way too of course we're the parents and he's the son but still right. we do try to work together as a team yes. and when I see couples talk where I see like one person who's dominating the conversation could be male female and you notice that with friends, you're like, okay, this is not healthy in my view, because mm -hmm. in team is, you know, everyone has their point of view and they give the, the same yeah. time on the floor, right? So, yeah. so, and it's, you sense that imbalance. And for me, that, that balance is really important to yeah. have that. And I see it more like uh, we are two individuals and kind of like the Venn diagram where there's a lot of overlap. The more overlap you have, I think it's, it's better because we like to do things together. We like to watch movies together. We like to listen to music and so on. But then there's also parts that should stay away and that's my mm -hmm. space. And that's again, that's her space and so on. Right. And I think, I think that could work if things are in balance and it's not 100% always with the person, but yeah. also not nothing in common with the person, then that relationship won't thrive. Yes, yes. Yeah, 
And occasionally that happens that people have nothing in common. More commonly what's going on is that they just haven't figured out how to handle the differences productively. And, you know, there's this old saying, um, two heads are better than, one, better than one, but they're only better than one if you can find a way to come together with differences and benefit by the differences as opposed to the differences only becoming a source of tension and unhappiness. And often the differences are the very place that you'll learn from each other and that you learn to combine. And I often uh, coach couples, you know, when you find that place in the conversation as you very often will, where you just don't see it the same way, pull back and consider that you're both right and now you have to figure out, well, what is, if we're both right, then what is the big picture here? It's a little bit like that old tale about the blind men and the elephant, you know, and somebody asked seven blind men to go and see, an, go and find an elephant. And one blind man said, oh, an elephant is like a rope and he had hold of the tail. And the other blind man said, the elephant is like a tree and he had hold of one of the foot, the uh, legs. And, and in fact, all those things were the elephant, they weren't, and when they put all of their perceptions together, then they realized what the elephant really was. And that happens all the time in little ways with couples. It's so easy to get into a debate. It's so easy to get to an either or and who's right. And if, as soon as you are arguing about who's right, you know that you're not in a good conversation, right? Yeah, and so you have to step back and consider, okay, so what if we're both right? What if these two things that we're saying and seeing that seem very contradictory, what if they're actually both true? What then would be the elephant? What is, what is that picture? And it can take a while. It's a little bit challenging, but it's much more productive. And then you're in a conversation where you're looking together as a team, as you said, you're looking for what you don't yet know and see. And you're doing that kind of as an exploration together, which is a much more interesting and more useful conversation than simply trying to figure out who's writer. Yes, absolutely. And in many cases, like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And then you realize exactly being right is actually overrated. And yeah. in, in many cases, you actually are not right, even right. You, even if you thought you were right. Yeah. But one thing is also we can talk about aperture as well is like the identity, because we have an identity and we let's say I, um, I find myself, I am comfortable with who I am. But when I enter again, a, a deep uh, committed relationship with someone, then that person is also then interacting with me and I have to change because I cannot stubbornly stick to my way of always doing things. So I have to adapt to it. So again, that would be something that identity is kind of open and needs to be open and flexible yeah. and things change. So when, when we started, I was the one who was, who was cooking in our relationship and I was the better cook at the time. And now she's like exceeded me by far. And yeah. so it be, be open to that and not saying I always have to do this or this is my role in this relationship but being flexible and I think flexibility is is hugely important for for relationships yes. in my view Absolutely. Yeah. and you're right the over attachment to you are one way as if you're going to be that way the rest of your life and a false attachment to certain parts of your identity that actually aren't who you are. And so this is where, where psychology kind of intersects with um, you know, meditation and mindfulness is that you learn that who you actually are is not, it's not so important that you are the cook and she isn't the cook. That who, who cares? And besides which exactly. is a plus if you're both the cook. Exactly. Um, so, but you're touching on a little bit of a, a topic that I really love to think about, which is the relationship in, 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 in human systems, in life systems, if you think about it, 
all of the life forms we have are a process of integration. And we learn this more and more as we see how e ecological systems fit together. A forest, you know, has trees and frogs in it. And those two uh, beings have a relationship with each other and they need each other. But the forest won't be a forest anymore if, if they, it all becomes one thing. So the process of coming together is not about losing your identity. In fact, it's very important that you maintain your autonomy is more the word I use, yeah. that, that a well-integrated system is a process of continuous conversation and feedback between two autonomous beings that then form a system that's something else. And that's what a couple is. And so when you think about what that means uh, in your brain, in the forest, in your couple, it's a very um, complicated and ongoing learning process. And that's another one of those things that couples need to understand that this is a very this is a very high order of thing in terms of life systems that you're attempting and to have some respect for the fact that we've we've set in motion this very large adventuresome project and not to get too discouraged when you find that it's hard sometimes of course it's going to be hard sometimes it, it, like anything in life it takes work and so yeah. you need to put in the effort there and if you're not going to put in the effort of work for it then that's that's not for you and you won't have any results yeah. uh, one thing that um, uh, again my, my previous interview was about codependency and so the where you try to please the other person because you want to be accepted by them and you always it's not a give or take relationship that balance does not exist and you just always giving and not getting anything in return so yeah. do you see in in your and your therapies do you see a lot of um codependence the people who are again that could be male or female who are always trying to please the other person but not having that self-care for themselves that emotional uh connection to themselves as well yes that's definitely you know that's that's one of the kinds of codependency you see a lot um i think another way that i see it is uh, is that there's that but there's also um it's very natural for couples to be protective of each other. But what you have to watch out for is the protectiveness that's kind of automatic and you don't even quite notice it's happening that ends up protecting your partner from their growth. So we, we accommodate to each other's um, difficulties and weaknesses and some of that serves us, but often it doesn't serve us. And there are people that get so uncomfortable when their partner is uncomfortable that they will leap in to save them in whatever way. You see this in the most simple way. Suppose there are two people in a relationship and one is very comfortable socially and talks very easily in a group and their partner is very shy, introverted, gets very awkward in a group. They go out in public and the talker talks the whole time. And, and in a certain way, without even thinking about it, they know that their partner's uncomfortable and they're trying to help with that. But in, in doing it this way, they end up keeping their partner from stretching and growing and developing themselves, which is what we're all meant to do. And so the aspect of codependency that I think about a lot is don't get in the way of your partner's growth. Don't be so eager to either please or accommodate or protect 
that you that you get in the way of them having a growth experience that they really need to have and instead support them through the discomfort of that you know move back a little bit let them take it sort of like you do when you're raising a child mm -hmm. I was thinking about that actually you're constantly getting in the way of them falling down yeah. they're not going to learn to walk they're not going to learn to ride the bicycle yeah. and so that kind of protectiveness can render your child incapable and that same thing can happen in couples if you're too protective if yeah. you're too accommodating if you're too generous even you can get in the way of each of you stretching in ways that would be absolutely fabulous for you individually and as a couple and it, it comes down a bit to the right or wrong thing and also again my relationship with my with my son it's sometimes it's like okay this is wrong this is the wrong yeah. decision it's not dangerous of course but it, it's just right. wrong and um, with my wife too but i'd say okay you want to take it go right. ahead and then yeah. it, it often turns out okay you know what yes I, I, it was wrong it's just something simple like we had wine and then she had she wanted to have beer and i said no don't do that she's like no i want to do it and then the next day she was so hung over she's like i'll never do that again and right. Right. that learning from experience that we yeah. need uh, in yeah. any part of our life or it could be the opposite where it's you know what yes i was wrong and admit it and you say okay you were right and this helped you grow and that was the right thing to do and I, I apologize and just kind of move on but then again there's also lots of like bad blood between relationships too where you're harboring on something that happened in the past and it's kind of haunting the ghost i would say in the relationship mm -hmm. so my idea is really we need to air those those uh, um, ghosts and the hardship and the uh, resentment that people feel so you can you can start off on a clean slate and that could be whenever at any point of the relationship yeah. as well yes exactly yeah, re repairing old injuries is awfully important. The best thing is to repair an injury as soon as it happens. But sometimes you don't do that for whatever reason. The relationship was in a bad phase or you weren't aware enough to do it. And you can stumble upon the fact that one of you is still harboring an old resentment. And when you come upon that, you need to make a repair. Um, a lot of people think of apology as being equivalent to accepting the blame. And, and what that does is it gets in the way of apology because we get all twisted around the axle around, well, it wasn't my fault. Why should I apologize? The important thing about repair to know is that the, there are three things that get broken when, when your partner gets injured. And the first one is there's a break in the empathetic connection, meaning they, they, they experience some kind of doubt, small or large, about whether or not you actually care that they were injured. And you can repair that in, you can repair the empathetic connection without even addressing who was right or wrong. You simply go right away for an expression of, wow, I'm really sorry your feelings got hurt. I didn't know that was gonna happen. Um, I'm not sure what did happen, but I really didn't intend to hurt you. And I'm very sorry that it went that way. That is, it's like, it's, it's, it's relatively easy to do because it doesn't involve the discussion of who did what. And it immediately reassures your partner that even if they are feeling very injured, you consider this not, not something that you want to have happen and that you care that they do have injured feelings. And that goes a long way. The other two parts of the repair are a little bit trickier. The, the fortunate thing is that if you can't do them, the empathetic repair means, means the world to most people. The second thing that gets broken when, th when people get injured is they get a disruption of their consensual reality. 
um, what really happened here? And that's the part that can be very difficult. And you don't want to have that conversation until you've had the empathetic repair. So sometimes we launch repair number two in the direction of what really happened, but we're not ready for it because maybe both people are having hurt feelings. So first you have to go back and say, look, I don't know what really happened and maybe we'll sort it out and maybe we won't. But in the meantime, just know that it's my intention that we don't end up feeling this bad about each other. And then you can go for there. Yeah, I, I love the term empathetic, uh, empath empathetic uh, repair. Yeah. I think that is, uh, uh, I hadn't heard that before, but I really like it. That's, that's a wonderful term. And so um, with, again, also with relationships too, sometimes it's like something else is a problem. So just to give an example, for example, my wife would talk to somebody and then if I say something and it's like, oh, you are jealous, right? That is not good. Or, well, don't talk to this person. And if I don't say anything, why are you not jealous? So, and the issue is actually not that. And when you right. kind of uh, one thing that's uh, really helped me is uh, a psychoanalysis of understanding the dynamics between, again, people, ourselves, and projections and rationalizations and all of that. And so I, that's something we've I've talked to my wife about, and that has helped us a lot. The flip side is, however, when I am wrong, she sees through me, and then she psychoanalyzes me as well. So it's it's kind of coming back at me. But I think that's something that many people would benefit from so in a way when you when you are struggling in a relationship i think um one should take the step and come and see you and uh, talk about it before they give up on the relationship and, and sometimes i think some relationships are just not meant to be there's too much yeah. clash between the two people and yeah. and that's fine and it's again not feeling guilty or blaming oneself for it but it's just the nature of things yeah uh, one thing that has happened yeah, sorry to I'm just going to add on to that, that we'll be a lot better off when people start to view therapy and couples therapy as being like piano lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, you can teach yourself the piano, but sometimes it doesn't go very well and it's very hard and it takes a long time. But if you get a teacher, you can you can make the learning go faster and easier. And once we start to think of therapy that way as, yeah, you could probably stumble around and learn these things on your own. But why would you want to waste all that time and effort doing that when there are coaches that can give you a leg up and kind of help you with it? And it's absolutely important not to wait too long to go and get some coaching. And I, I, I like the coaching model a lot better than any for especially for couples therapy. Um, couples don't come to see me because somebody's broken. They come in because they can't figure out how to be a couple and they need some coaching about that. And the sooner we get the idea that this is like, this is like lessons, this is like piano lessons or getting a coach to teach you tennis or whatever, and, and it can make life a lot easier. And often we're stuck and we have these blind spots where we don't see the other point of view. And when that's when, when a professional can really yeah. say, have you tried this? And then it might yeah. even solve the whole issue and right. you might have a, a happy relationship. Uh, yeah. One thing that has uh, tested relationships nowadays is COVID-19. Yeah. And um, I've seen two ways it has affected relationships. Uh -huh. Either it has broken them apart or yes. it has made them much stronger. Yeah. And so, but I think I, I, I wouldn't blame COVID-19 for that. I right. think the problems were there. 
right. and the structure was already there. And so right. this is actually, and this, this sounds horrible, but COVID-19 has been the best thing that has, has happened to me, which is a, a, right. not a great thing to say, but from my own point of view, because I- well, We should be okay saying that because <laughs> in fact, a lot of people feel that way and they might not feel that way all over the place. And yeah. obviously COVID has been a real mixed bag. Um, for everybody, but we shouldn't be a, a, afraid or ashamed to admit that, in fact, there was some learning that went on there and some things that became possible that weren't possible before that we actually benefited by. Yes, and I, I feel I've, as personally, I've grown spiritually, I've grown in, in, in my capabilities, in my faith in myself, right. as well as us as a unit. Again, that team has just become so yeah. much stronger because of that. Yeah. And um, my, again, uh, having Zoom in terms of technology, Zoom interviews, I mean, this yeah. is something I've, it would have been really difficult to do previously yes. and now i'm talking to wonderful people like you and right. and uh, it's just like it's just such an amazing tool as well that yes. we can take advantage of so in in many ways and we often see the the dark side of it which exists and i'm not denying that but we also i think should see the resilience that comes out of it yes. the strength that is yes. formed because of it and those things that were not meant to be not to feel guilty about it because maybe, okay, we didn't pass the test because it wasn't the right thing to do. So yeah. it's kind of like a lesson that uh, life is teaching us in that sense. Yes, yes, yeah. yes exactly. And, and yeah, you're, you're exactly right. A lot of couples benefited and a lot of couples came apart. And that does have something to do with, were they at a place where they could learn individually and learn together and exercise resilience and be innovative together. And if, if so, then they probably benefited by, by the learning together that they got to do. And, uh, and if not, they couldn't figure it out. And often it hastened the end of the relationship. Um, so yeah. Yeah, innovative I, I, and, yeah. And thinking I, outside I, of the think, box, I think that's really important. That too. Thinking outside of the box, being innovative and just Absolutely. like doing things differently. This is a new yes. lifestyle and yes. we'll have to adapt to it. Yeah. Yes. And, it, you know, what we know about brain science is that our brains really like innovation. We love solving puzzles. We love learning new things. And so, in fact, it can be very invigorating to be put in situations where we have to invent things and create new pathways, both in our brains and in our in our relationships and in our lives. So it's been it's been quite good for some people. I one of the surprises for me was, of course, before COVID, I was working completely in person and since COVID completely virtually. And at first I thought, oh, no one is going to want to do couples therapy virtually they're you know they're all going to say well we'll see you after this is over to my amazement the first surprise was that they wanted to do therapy that way but the second surprise was how well it went and i think part of that again was um various factors but part of it was there were fewer options for distraction. There were few, fewer things that took them away from this particular project of working with their mate on their couple's relationship. And so they were showing up every week on time to talk about the relationship, whereas before they had lives where maybe one of them was traveling for business all the time. And so every other session they'd be gone. And so it, there was a consistency that was created by the fact that there were fewer other options that really for many couples resulted in them learning a lot very quickly. 
Mm -hmm. My uh, Myself, I'm a language instructor and I was against technology. I said, you cannot teach languages uh, over the internet online. It's not possible. Right. And I was railing against it. I was really upset when, when this happened and right. we had our virtual classrooms. And then I created our own online course and now I really enjoy it. And it's uh -huh. actually, I, I prefer it in many ways yeah. uh, because you can see what you can do with it too. And that's kind of that mindset. It's like, you think I can't do it or right. you think this is this, you're stubborn and you just say, right. I have to do it this one way because that's right. the right way. And you realize, no, I mean, there are many paths and just yeah. give it a try. And maybe it's better than the one you had, yes. which was my experience. Yes, yeah. excellent. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I, I think, um, um, one more thing I want to talk about, which is, um, I'm not sure if, uh, well, it's kind of interesting, is the sense of smell when it comes to relationships. And I'm thinking one thing that uh, really um, uh, brought me to this idea was the, the book, The Perfume by Patrick Suskind, uh, about how, how smell plays an important role right. in uh, relationships and in like yes. accepting a person as a leader and just yes. kind of like, um, do you talk about this? Do you have any ideas about that? I find it very interesting. I don't know where I stand, but. That is fascinating. Um, I don't know that book. I think I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Um, uh, so just the basic idea is there is yeah. like a special perfume that when you put it on, um, people are attracted to you. Uh -huh. So, and the idea is that somebody like Jesus had that kind of smell so that uh -huh. people would follow him regardless of what he would right. say so right. that kind of right. like your your brain like just kind of follows it and yes. you lose logic and right. kind of like when we are in in, in love with somebody all these right. hormones kick in and we don't listen yes. to reason that kind of yes. like idea yes. yeah. yeah i do think that a lot of a lot of what attracts attracts us to other people is goes on at a level that defies explanation and that we don't understand. And it certainly is in process through our cortex. So I think that goes on, especially goes on when people are finding their way to each other for coupling. And it's part of what explains this, what we call the end of the honeymoon phenomenon, which is that there's a whole different set of neurochemistry during the mating process, during the finding the person process. And much of it is unconscious, yeah, most of it is unconscious. And, um, and so it can result in a very strong attachment, a very strong bond. And that can be very much to your favor. I do find that couples that came together with some of that kind of flavor, like they just felt drawn to each other, that if they go through a period then where they come apart and they're really, you know, having a great deal of difficulty, the relationship is in crisis. You know, I always ask them, tell me about the beginning of your relationship, because if indeed before the crisis, there was a period where they really felt very bonded, they felt very drawn to each other, there was kind of a natural attraction, it's going to make it easier for them to come back together. That doesn't mean that you can't make relationship without that, and it doesn't mean you can't come back together without that. But having at least a little bit of that, what we call chemistry, is awfully useful. And it helps you kind of keep going through some of the hard parts and kind of regain your footing. So yeah, it's an important part of things. Do you, or would you believe in soulmates? Because uh, that, that's something that is debated and, and, and may, many scientists might, might not accept it. Um, from a, a spiritual point of view, I uh -huh. think there is such a thing. And so it's quite uh -huh. interesting because my wife, before um, she met me, I went to Mexico to, to meet her. Right. And so, well, actually I went to Mexico. I didn't 
think I would meet her. Yes. And so, um, and uh, she had a dream of somebody coming to her lap and, uh, oh. uh, and that she would meet the person that would be her soulmate. Yes. And so, uh, and I got sick from, from, I got food poisoning and then, which right. is a bad thing, but then led to right. a good thing. And there were actually two labs in our, our region. I, and I just like, just automatically went to the, to her lab. Right. And so it's, and she kind of recognized that when she saw me, she said, oh, the, the, the guy from that's my dreams. And so wow. And wow. So, that's fabulous. And it was just, it was just wonderful. So it kind yeah. of brought, it really got me thinking like there is some sort of like spiritual connection of soulmates and so on. Yes. And that uh, there are signs that lead you in that direction. And so um, yes. I don't know what, uh, whether to what degree you, you would agree right. with me or not, or what, what, are your, what is your point of view here? Well, my Feel free to disagree view, if that's, that's the case. My point of view is I'm very interested in such things. Um, I, somebody asked me, do I believe in, I think they asked me, do I believe in past lives? And I said, mm -hmm. I prefer not to believe in beliefs. What I'm looking for is what's my actual ex lived experience. And so I too have experiences like the one of your wife that, that to me are very, let's say noteworthy. I definitely noticed them. I had an experience like that when I met my husband. Nice. Um, we, I, I first saw him, before I met him, I first saw him, we were um, at the same, um, we were in psychiatry residency together. We hadn't met yet. And he was coming out of a building and I was going into the building. We crossed paths. And I remember just something in me went, whoa who's that and then we just kept walking and apparently he had the same experience at the same moment so yeah sometimes i think i believe in things like that meaning i think they're possible and i've had a few experiences that made me think you know there's something there's something more to this than we know and for sure i think there's a lot more going on you know in our lives than we could possibly ever know the neuroscience tells us that about one one millionth of what's actually going on and being processed by our our organism is actually the conscious part. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like we're seeing the tip of the iceberg when we're seeing what we think we we know and the rest of it is is out of awareness and and may never be in awareness. And so to discount what it is we don't have um how can I say it? we don't have visual evidence for, we don't have scientific evidence for as being unreal, I think is, is um, unrealistic. Mm -hmm. That of course there are things that we don't, we don't understand yet and we don't even fully sense yet that are going on behind the scenes. Just to add a, a twist to, to my story too, because my wife was working at a different lab and then she was moved and re relocated to the one that where she met yeah. me at. And she was against that. She was like, I don't want to go because I am going to meet this person here. Ah, and then ah. like a week after that she moved, right. that's when I walked in. And so it's just ah. like, sometimes uh -huh. these coincidences are like yeah. really guiding Very us in a, in a direction. And I, yeah. my, my advice is listen to it and yes, follow right. it. It will right. lead you in the right, right. direction in many yes. ways. Yes, uh, yes. What's your view on, on, on Buddhism? Is, is that something that um, you are interested in? Does that uh, also affect uh, your approach in life? Because something oh, that yeah. I'm very fascinated with. Yeah, no, yeah. my approach to couples is sort of an amalgam of traditional couples therapy models that I learned in my training. 
Um, a lot of years spent meditating, mostly Buddhist med meditation. And then what I've learned in the last couple of decades from the new neuroscience, which I think is just fascinating. So I would say I try to bring together all three of those things. And yeah, I would say my meditation practice is a major influence. I mean, thus the, the my emphasis on the important thing in relationships is to be totally present in the moment and to be able to sense this thing of openness. And that's, you know, that's about, that, that's about present moment awareness and a lot of my belief in that and my experience with it has been formed um, from hours spent meditating so yes I, I think of myself as a Buddhist there are a lot of different kinds of Buddhists but I definitely think of myself as a Buddhist wonderful and so just also a final thing I'd like to talk about is somatic techniques I read about that yes. and I find it very fascinating yes. can you yes. just elaborate a bit about that because I think that is actually that should really work in my yeah opinion. Somatic techniques are, I mean, of course, you, you know, I heard one person discussing and saying they didn't even like the term body mind, because why would you need two terms for the same thing? And that that's what I think. Um, of course, we have a body mind that's really all one thing. And so it can be very powerful. In fact, we need to always work with the body. Um, this thing that I'm talking about, aperture awareness, that's an in the body experience. That's something you feel in your body. And I would say everything that we experience is happening you know, in our, in our being. And so um, I, I don't do somatic techniques myself. I've trained in a few of them. I don't do them, but I often refer for, for them. So often if I'm working with somebody and there's just something that's a little bit stuck and we're having trouble getting to it. And I sense that they might be open to a somatic approach. I will send them to a body worker of some sort and for some somatic therapy. And I think it can be very powerful. And uh, I've read a book on uh, psychosomatic illness, and which is yes. quite fascinating that actually a lot of the cases where people go to see the, their family physicians is in, in, in many cases is psychosomatic. Yes. And so the approach, uh, the medical approach of like treating a problem by looking at one specific part of the body is mm -hmm. not taking the whole thing into perspective. So you're not really solving the issue and worse if you're just giving medication because that's not even curing you from right. it. You're just right. treating the symptoms. And so um, one of the things I've, I've learned and I'm working on myself over the past few years is try to gain that balance in terms of health and to try to deal. And I was obese a couple of years ago and I'm not anymore because I realized that a lot of my, I'm driven for food for emotional purposes and reason right. and by dealing with that stress and finding happiness yes. my idea and I'm, I'm working on uh, on a book on that is to be able to get rid also of reversing diabetes that I have type 2 uh -huh. and and other uh, uh, illnesses and so and I think it works in tandem and I, I remember when I was a teen I read Louise Hay's uh, book on how they uh, a lot of the manifestation in your in your body your physical manifestations comes from the mind it's kind of connected to it and yeah. it's called you can heal your life and so as a teen I liked it but then uh, when I grew older I was like that can't be right and that's right. nonsense that's non-scientific and now I'm coming back to it so it's kind of the full circle and I, I think yeah. it is very true yeah. and so um you are um working on a book uh, yourself about your approach Yes, Can you tell book, us about the book, that? Yeah. the book is actually finished. I'm now working good. on uh, finding a publisher, actually. So okay. yeah, the book is written. The book is written two and four couples, but it also will end up being very useful to couples therapists um, and to other people interested in relationships. And it's a book that is about um, basically 
um, the ideas around around this basic idea of how to stay open to your partner so that you can understand each other, love each other, so that you can get the most possible loving connection with the least possible injury. Okay, it's a, it sounds it is a wonderful book. I'm absolutely sure because I, uh, I I love your ideas. I love your approach, and I'm 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 happy to see that because I I, I go through a, a lot of uh, requests for books and also interviews, and I, I read about them, and then it just doesn't resonate with me in many right. cases. Why I say or I just shake my head. It's like you know what this is wrong. Like, I'm sorry, right. but uh, you, right. this does right. not work. And here I felt that yes, and it is true. I mean, everything you're saying, I, I don't disagree with anything that you've said. Right. And it's a wonderful approach. And uh, I couldn't have said it better. So thank you very much to uh, for talking to me and um, best of luck to, to your endeavors. And I really hope somebody will watch this video and will contact you immediately to get the book published. But I wish yeah. you the best of luck. Thank you so Gosh, much. Thank you for a great interview. Thank you. Bye-bye.